Welcome to World Footprints Radio, the show where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. Featuring your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Now, World Footprints Radio. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today on World Footprints Radio, where we celebrate responsible travel, culture, and heritage. We're your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we're coming to you for a change uh, from our studio right outside our nation's capital. On today's show, the editor-in-chief of National Geographic Traveler, Keith Bellows, joins us to talk about the magazine, travel storytelling, his upcoming book, and his never-ending quest for discovering different cultures and people on every journey. In our quest for something different, we'll venture to Buddha Bar DC, a new restaurant that's part of the DC dining scene with Shelley Galloway, general manager of Buddha Bar DC. And finally, we'll introduce you to socially conscious jewelry designer Monique Payon, whose eco-friendly and culturally inspired jewelry is changing the way we think of jewelry and its social impact. Remember, if you have a question or a comment, write us at comments at worldfootprints.com. We look forward to connecting with you during the week on Facebook and Twitter and at other times through our newsletter, all which you can find on our website at worldfootprints.com. And honey, before we start with Keith's interview, I wanted to say that, you know, I think that what we're doing and, of course, with the the other guests that we'll have on the show, uh, Shelly Galloway from Buddha Bar D.C and uh, Monique Pion, who um, surprisingly had uh, a, um, a very special woman sport her, uh, her jewelry. Michelle Obama. Yes, our first lady, Michelle Obama. Um, I love that, that through World Footprints and, you know, we are bringing all of those things together, uh, the things that we've been advocating for, for a very long time, but um, which makes sense more now through our World Footprints platform. Indeed. Every now and then on our show, we meet a kindred spirit who shares our values and passion for exploring and protecting our planet. Keith Bellows is one such person. The editor-in-chief of the award-winning National Geographic Traveler magazine, Keith has taken his passion for travel and turned it into his life's work, whether as a journalist, author, media entrepreneur, commentator, or global citizen. Keith, welcome. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. I've enjoyed reading your one-on-one pieces in National Geographic Traveler for quite some time, and for those who are not familiar with it, your one-on-one column features famous people, not necessarily in the travel space per se, and you explore some interesting things with them that really cause us to change how we look at people, places, and culture. Talk to us about what you try to accomplish with one-on-one. Well, you know, they're not all just famous people. I think they're just, you know, downright interesting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I look for is obviously a, a diverse range of people, but I'm looking for people who are using travel to pursue their passion um, and are, you know, in, you know, seeing the world um, not through the prism necessarily of a tourist. So, you know, from Al Gore to, uh, you know, Ricky Werman, who was the founder of the TED Conference, mm-hmm. um, all of these people uh, and everybody I interview, you know, they first of all, they interest me. Second of all, I go, there's something I can learn from these people. Mm-hmm. And third, uh, they must have some great stories. They must have some great insights. And, uh, and, and, it, and they always do. And the real sad thing is, 
in the magazine, we run the, the interview at maybe 700, 750 words, but that, that's boiled down from a transcript that might actually be as much as seven or 8,000 words because I often talk to these people for an hour. So it breaks mm-hmm. my heart every time I, you know, we have to, we have to edit these down. Um, and we are talking about doing a longer version of some of these interviews in a book, in book format, but that'll come in the future. Hmm. Some of my favorites recently have been uh, with Thomas Friedman. You mentioned Richard Worman, the entrepreneur from New Orleans, Sean yeah. Cummings, uh, Dolly Parton, uh, Nathan Wolf, uh, the epidemiologist who's doing work on pandemics, and the skateboard superstar, Tony Hawk. What have been some of the memorable ones for you? Well, I guess, you know, one of the ones was one that hasn't appeared. <laughs> and, hmm. um, it was one of the first ones I did. It was with Chris Blackwell, who's the founder of Island Records and um, Strawberry Hill, and a real entrepreneur and um, very gifted. You know, he was the guy that discovered Bob Marley and mm-hmm. the traffic and so forth. And um, he and I had a wonderful, actually, in Jamaica. And then um, I got back and... Um, we started to transcribe the tape, and the tape melted. <laughs> oh. It was one of the most interesting mm. to go back to him, and we'll, we'll redo it. But I know, of course, it was a great interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> another one is, is one that hasn't appeared. It's with, it's by, it's with a guy named Risto, um, and I can never pronounce his last name, but he, he's, he's half of a duo that does uh, a show called Mad Ventures, and um, it's out of Finland. And they take the approach to travel, which is that they're, um, they want to push the edge. They want to, they want, to be as remote and as adventure uh, adventurous as possible, and uh, um, the the stuff they've done, some of it is so out there that we can't even put it in the mix. <laughs> but it's look for it; it's, it's going to be coming out. And then I think the very first one I did, the one that gave me the idea uh, for this, was um, I had seen actually at TED Con- at the TED conference um, Al Gore do his inconvenient. Uh, truth speech mm-hmm. and uh, I just decided to contact him and, and do an interview with him on this and just by pure coincidence the timing worked out that that, that appeared uh, coincident with the release of the movie and um, I thought you know cause, uh, Al Gore said a lot of very interesting things and it struck me that nobody would think that he's a, a world traveler as a tourist but certainly a world traveler as a um, as an evangelist hmm. and that got me to thinking there's a lot of people out there like that and then Ian, Ian Schrager was the second guy I did and that was uh, I think he's the man who really invented the boutique hotel it, it's amazing how you know just the travel itself can be so transformative and um, you know on our show World Footprints we, we, we talk about those transformative experiences and I know you've traveled um, a lot, Keith, and, and certainly during the course of your job, but even, you know, the course of your life, being born in the Congo, um, living in Scotland, um, you're a Canuck. Yep. <laughs> Ian and I kind of, we, we, we claim that too a little bit. Uh, we're, we're closet Canucks, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, but what have been, tell us a little bit about your journey and, and how you ended up in, in this space and what what your work has meant to you and, and, and what you've discovered about yourself through the course of your journey. It's interesting. I, you know, I never set out to be a travel writer or editor. And in fact, I think when you do that, then that might actually derail you. So I, you know, I, um, as you said, I, I, I bopped around a little bit um, and I ended up um, working for a company called Whittle Communications, did 30 mm-hmm. different magazines, um, did you know, produce television and my own internet company. And so 
I realized that um, I was probably genetically predisposed to be a change junkie. I love the challenge of the new. Um, change does not uh, discomfort me. Um, new surroundings uh, I embrace. Um, so it's sort of a natural rhythm of life that's, uh, you know, I've sort of absorbed. And um, so when I, I was out in San Francisco um, working, uh, launching a, a website called Baby Center and, and working at Excite, and the siren call of coming back to magazines uh, was there with this job. This is 12 years ago. And I just jumped at it. And I now realize that my entire life was sort of um, leading up to this opportunity to actually put my my, my sort of experiences uh, into the pages of the magazine. And, um, and if you look at the evolution of the magazine over the last 12 years, you'll realize that you'll see dramatically visually and sort of uh, philosophically that, you know, it's constantly grown, it's constantly changed as, as I have and as my staff has and as the world has and as the businesses has. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've come to a point now in travel I think there's some very interesting... I mean, this is the most interesting time, I think, in travel and journalism um, that I, I've experienced because I think we've gone beyond the sort of notion of travel as vacation um, to travel as transformation. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the idea of sitting on a beach and having a pina colada just doesn't really turn that many people on. I mean, it, it certainly does, you know, the average consumer, but I think the people who consider themselves travelers want something more. They want an mm-hmm. experience that's transformative, We're, you know, especially with the baby boom, you know, saying, hey, there's got to be more to, to, to life than just, you know, a week on the beach. I think that's a good thing. It's a great thing. And I think what's happening, too, is that the emerging generation of travelers are, are absorbing that, I think. And we're going to have, um, I think, the, the folks that are in college, graduating from college, um, are much more globally oriented, much more... Uh, you know, uh, much less risk averse, much more willing to embrace uh, the different, uh, the foreign. uh, And uh, I think that's a very, very, very good thing. Keith, when you look at the state of travel reporting and travel journalism today, what positive trends do you see and what concerns you? You know, I don't actually see positive trends because I think... um, so much of, of, well, I think a lot of travel journalists um, are still pursuing the notion of a free trip. I, mm-hmm. I think that there's a sort of packed journalism that goes on. I think a lot of the people who are covering travel, where it's being covered, um, are really doing it by default. In other words, it's you know they're, they're, they're a financial reporter who's sort of also been put on the travel beat. Um, I think there's too much sort of guidebook travel writing going on and not, not enough storytelling mm-hmm. um, and I think that uh, I think that there's also this idea that you know that there's so much sky is falling travel writing that goes on and not enough celebrating what travel can do for you and um, and I actually almost sort of don't like the word travel because mm-hmm. it's more it's more wanderlust it's more culture it's more pursuit it's more experience it's more transformation it's what the world can give you um, just because you're willing to displace yourself. Mm. Amen. Are you are you sure we're not related? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and and I know. And one of the things that I, I love about um, National Geo Traveler is that you you do accept for those travel writers who are listening. You do accept submissions 
um, but you d- will not, under any circumstances, uh, accept subsidized no. or submissions that are that are a result of a subsidized uh, trip. But have you found that submissions have uh, have dropped because of of? Uh, well, we don't really. Um, first of all, we don't take submissions. What we do is we assign articles. And so, I mean, if you if somebody just sends me an article, it's just not going to happen because we have a very specific uh, point of view and what we're looking for is really tough. I mean, the kind of query, we get queries, obviously, but I would say that 90% of the ideas are generated on staff because we really know what we want. And, I, and I'll give you a very specific example. I'd say... 80% of the kind of queries we get are things like, I'm going to Paris and I'd love to do a story for you. Or, um, you haven't done Paris in five years and I'm the person to do it. And, or, you know, Paris is an incredible place and it's really beautiful and um, hmm. I'd like to do an article on it. Well, those are all, we know Paris is all of that. Right. What we want is a concept, a story. We want why you, why now, why traveler. And we want a really, really good um, writer, because we're going to spend forty thousand dollars sending you to Paris to do this story. Um, when it's you know factor in all the research and the and the writing and the travel costs and you know et cetera and, and photography. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, for instance, uh, the story that we're running uh, next next issue is is a is a month of Sundays, and it's essentially a story. Of a, of a, by a writer who spent, um, who lives in Paris, an expat, who, whose, whose perfect time in Paris are those four weekends when everybody leaves in August, and that's the time to go. And mm-hmm. it's a really wonderful look at a Paris that few travelers know about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, another example would be Andrew McCarthy, the writer, um, the actor and writer. Uh, he did his first piece for us, and he. He said, "Look, I, you know, I want to buy my mother a, a black pearl. She's turning seventy, um, and it, you know, it, this was after he pitched the story on Tahiti. And I said, well, I'm interested." He said, "Well, I found out that the island where they farm these pearls is right off of Tahiti. I want to go. I want to die for my own pearl." And he did, and he found his, his black pearl. And he also, in, in, in telling that story, told us a lot about the, the, the place. So we're looking for really gifted writers who have a, you know, a, a unique perspective and a storytelling skill. We want characters. We want our, you know, our stories to have sort of almost a cinematic quality. When we return, we'll have more with Keith Bellows from National Geographic as World Footprints Radio continues. Hey, this is Amy. I'm from Manitoba. Woo, Manitoba. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. It rocks my socks. It's your home, it's your dream. Rain on test and living healthy and clean. Make it green, green, green. Making it green is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Testing for radon is easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green, green, green. A message from the US EPA. Well, he moved early. That's going to draw the yellow flag. Offsides, number 72, five yards. Check out this fan leaving the game. He's headed straight up the middle and right into a sobriety checkpoint. Let's see how he handles it. 
No, officer. I haven't been drinking. I'm the designated driver. Upon further review, this fan made the right call by being a designated driver. Sign up to be the designated driver at the stadium and always buckle up. You could follow your favorite NFL team to the Super Bowl. Provided as a public service by the station at Team Coalition. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? Would you feel scared or proud? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Would you rather make your own way or spend a lifetime saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or go to peacecorps.gov. Joel Klein catches a 7 o'clock train after his evening CPR class at the American Red Cross. Ron Garrity's on the same train. He's had a rough day and doesn't feel like himself. Until he feels the sudden tightness in his chest, Ron never thought he'd actually have a heart attack. Until Joel is administering CPR, he never thought he'd actually save a life. When you train with the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. With great privilege comes great responsibility. Carter Fleming, Community Center Volunteer. The giving spirit is as passionate in the boomers today as it was in our 20s, and we as a generation can still impact our country. Lead, inspire, change the world again. Join thousands and find which volunteer opportunity is best for you. Call 1-800-424-8867 today or visit www.getinvolved.gov. This message is brought to you by the Corporation for National and Community Service in this station. Would it be crazy if you packed your bags and left for a week, a month, a year? What if you left for two years? What if you were going far away to help in a village on the edge of the Gobi Desert? To spend time with people the rest of the world only reads about? To teach children and learn a thing or two about yourself? Would that be crazy? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Tom Gilmore lives on a farm. There's a storm on the way, so he's boarding up the windows of his house. Haley Williams lives in an apartment. It's a beautiful day. She's making her usual monthly donation to the American Red Cross. Tom doesn't know a tornado will leave his family with no place to go. Haley doesn't know her gift will help give Tom's family shelter. When you support the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. Aloha! This is Danielle. Caleb. Mikai. Calling from Honolulu, Hawaii. We love World Footprints Radio. And now, more of World Footprints Radio with your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Welcome back. Here's more of our conversation with National Geographic Traveler's Editor-in-Chief, Keith Bellows. Keith, I want to come back to something you touched on and maybe tie in some of the other themes that you've uh, talked about. I know uh, National Geo Traveler likes to say that it makes the distinction between tourism and travel and stresses the inquisitive and not acquisitive trips, and we spend a lot of time talking, too, about doing things other than the vacationing and leisure aspects of of taking trips. Uh, talk to us a little bit about this philosophy and how you see to it that the magazine stays true to that in its storytelling. Um, you know, when I first got here, there was a big push on the marketing side to, <clears throat> to turn the magazine into a luxury magazine, you know, compete with Condé Nast Traveler and 
travel and leisure, and I, you know, it just to me was not in the genetics of the brand, and also not a particularly interesting approach to travel. You know, mm-hmm. to to go in search of, you know, to to go shopping for for stuff and to buy cars and furs and so on and so forth. And and that's not to say those magazines aren't very very good because they are. Um, but I felt that inquisitiveness is really the thing that we want to appeal to. This cultural hunger for the different and the new. Um, and so, um, you know, that evolved over time to become kind of a positioning for us, as did the whole um, area around sustainability. I mean, that, that was, you know, quite frankly, the world is coming to it now and it's sort of faddish, but we were, we were really there eight or nine years ago, and mm-hmm. I think that's part of our genetics. And so, um, you know, we've always sort of prided ourselves on sort of staying a little bit ahead of the curve um, but really looking at how travelers are traveling. And, I'm, and to make that distinction between, oh, I'm going away for two weeks, Madge, and, and we're going to have a wonderful vacation and we're going to go back to work, as opposed to saying, I want to do something really special. I want to have an experience. I don't want to come home and just talk about where I slept and what I ate. I want to talk about the people I met and the cultural um, you know, experiences that I had that really will live with me for the rest of my life. There's a new trend called geotourism, and you have a link to a slew of uh, resources on geotourism. Can you uh, share with our audience what exactly that is, and also share your website uh, with us, too? Right. Well, the website is nationalgeographic.com slash traveler. And uh, geotourism is is actually the brainchild of of, uh, our geotourism editor, Jonathan Turlow. He is when I got here 12 years ago, was talking about this notion of geotourism, which is essentially looking at um, a place through the prism of more than just its placeness. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, you know, we typically talk about ecotourism, and that's green tourism. But what geotourism expresses is sort of a, uh, it's the heritage of the place. It's the sense of the place. It's, it's culture. It's um, how the locals relate to the place. And that really has a direct relationship on, you know, a tour operator, how a tour operator treats the place that um, he or she visits or, you know, is the steward of. Um, And what we're trying to do is inculcate that sense of place uh, um, in, in, in travelers and asking them to sort of look at this pretty much as um, a legacy for the future, so that when you go to a place, you, you, you don't say, um, you don't have that feeling like, boy, you should have seen it 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want 20 years hence to, to be saying that again, because everywhere we visit now is really, um, we have to bequeath it to the next generation. Keith, and I, and I think that there's a really important lesson there for those who are in the travel space, particularly travel tour operators. And we've had opportunities to be at conferences and be part of roundtables and hear kind of the frustration as to how they need to go about marketing. And I think that what you've touched on, the aspect of legacy and storytelling, uh, that's something that we've tried to convey when we've had our conversations, that this really is what they ought to be selling in a sense, not to not to minimize the impact that, that those experiences will have on people, but to really encourage them that when you come here or, or when you do this, you're going to have perhaps a great story to tell, a life-altering experience that can perhaps open up new frontiers for you. 
Absolutely. I mean, I would point you to the, the latest issue, which is uh, our 50 Tours of a Lifetime annual issue. And, and all of those tour operators get what you just said. Um, and uh, I think more and more, not just tour operators, but hotels, uh, you know, destinations are beginning to see the real value in being who they are in celebrating their unique sense of place and mm-hmm. preserving the authentic and the heritage that uh, that comes with that sense of place. And that's going to be the unique selling proposition going forward. People are tired of just sort of the cookie cutter. They want a unique experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit earlier about um, essentially growing uh, – Growing our new travel audience, uh, right. growing your travel audience, and, and transform it, transformative experiences. And I understand that you're currently writing a book, which will be due out in the fall, spring, yeah, spring eleven, yeah, spring two thousand eleven. Okay, called a hundred places that will change your child's life. Right. Tell us about your book. Um, it's not a travel book. It's it's really um, it's as much a parenting book and an experience book. I'm taking a hundred places and I'm looking at each place through the prism of somebody who really knows it well and can and can convey its sort of unique cultural um, heart um, for a child, uh, so that they can you know it's beyond just saying going to putt putt golf courses or um, seeing the museum. It's it's going, it's going so deep into a place that the child becomes excited. And I'll give you an example of the Library of Congress in Washington. You, you probably on the surface will go, who's going to take an eight-year-old there? I mean, what a boring experience. Not. Um, I spent five hours there with one of the curators, um, and, and he unlocked that place for me, you know, not, beyond just showing me some of the most amazing things that are in that mm-hmm. you know, library. But also, it turns out that if you... Look at the place closely. There's symbols everywhere on the walls, in the wainscoting, in, on the floor, and you start to. And every one of them means something. And if you start to tell kids about this, they will actually have the the you know, opportunity to go on a scavenger hunt mm-hmm. um, and start to stumble across things that will amaze them. You know, and and I think that that's what the point of this book is. It's also to empower parents when they go to a place, not to just go to the conventional, you know, stuff the guidebooks tell you to take your kids to see. And, and and I think that's a wonderful thing uh, you're doing. And, and I'll tell you just from my own experience as a child growing up in the small town of Lansing, Michigan, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we grew up very humbly. And uh, but I had an uncle who lived abroad. He was uh, li- he lived in the UK for the most part. Um, as part of a diplomatic service corps. And every time he and my aunt uh, came home, I, I lived vicariously through them, and it's because of his experiences, because back in the day, and I'm going to date myself, <laughs> but back in the day, you know, the arts were prevalent in school, and so um, we read a lot. Uh, reading was, was, was promoted. The arts, like uh, classical music, was promoted. Theater, um, and those things allowed me as a child to really understand that there was a broader world outside of the city lines of Lansing, Michigan. And, and I think that actually planted a seed um, years ago in, in my life to, you know, to explore this planet, um, which I'm, I'm doing after a few other detours, but I, I think I've come full circle. And so I think what you're doing is a value um, to, to children and, and certainly to parents to give them, um, 
you know, ideas on, on what to do, what to look for to, to really foster a child's imagination and, and creativity. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, if you, if you can uh, get a child excited about traveling when they're young, you will have created a lifelong learner. And that's, um, and that's something that doesn't generally happen in the classroom. And I, I think the biggest crisis that America is facing right now is that we have become uh, global, globally insular. And this is going to be, you know, the corporations of tomorrow are going to have to have world-ready workers. Mm-hmm. And to have world-ready workers, you've got to have world-ready students. And, and our school system is not prepared to do that. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, we got to get the parents of the, and the grandparents are on the front lines of that. But I think also corporations and schools have got to start to getting involved. I'm doing some other projects around that um, to, try to, to try to really make people understand that um, the, the new diploma uh, is a passport. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, travel is not a vacation, it's an education. Yeah. And, and Keith, just to follow up on the book, are there any lessons or perhaps insights that you've gotten from writing this book that perhaps parents, regardless of their station in life, whether they're rich or poor, that they can take some of these messages and some of these places that perhaps you feature to open up their horizons, even if they don't have the resources to do so? Yeah, absolutely. And I very much recognize and that's great if you want to take your kid to Paris, but a lot of us can't do that. So... Um, let's just take a, an example. Um, you're, let's say you live in, in, in near Washington D.C. Let's say you're within 100 miles of Washington D.C. and you you don't have a lot of money. You got a car, and it's a Saturday, and you kind of don't really know what you're, you you want to do with your kids, and you're, you're you're inclined to take them to the mall, you know. So instead of that, take them to Chinatown. Take them to Chinatown for two hours. Take them into the herb shop. Take them into the Chinese, either the real Chinese restaurant. Um, take them, walk them through the, the, the streets, look at the street signs, look at the people, talk about the fabric, talk, talk about the things in the kitchen utensils in the window, talk about the, the things that, you know, that are in, in, intrinsic to Chinese culture. And you will find, no matter how much money you have, that those children will be fascinated. Um, they will be riveted. And you will learn something. And mm-hmm. that, I think, is the essence of this, because it's not just the kids who learn, it's the parents who learn by learning and by watching. Yeah. Keith, in our closing moments with you, and this has been a wonderful conversation from our perspective. Is it was there, too short. Yeah. Is, is there anything <laughs> you're looking forward to? You've got the book coming. Uh, anything in National Geo Traveler that excites you or any trips that you have on the horizon? Well, I've got a bunch of trips coming. I'm going to Quebec City, Scotland, and, I'm, and then I'm leading a, um, a round-the-world jet trip to the society. So I've got a lot of travel coming. Wow. Up. Um, I'm very excited about the, the work we're doing. Uh, we're about to launch our iPad edition in, in May, and this is, um, this is a completely new medium uh, that I think is going to reinvent the photograph um, because of its incredible ability to, um, to reproduce what we do so well, which is photographs. Um, I think the storytelling opportunities are going to be abundant. I just got back from doing a piece in the Amazon and came back with, you know, footage and soundscapes and slideshows and interviews and stuff. And so it's it's giving us a much greater opportunity to tell a story in a lot of different ways. And I think that's going to revolutionize um, how we experience places because you'll be able to see them, hear them, uh, and literally touch them on the iPad and, and other digital tablets. Oh, well, we're we're excited about that, and and I'll just, um, I'll, you know, as as is uh, typical of me, I'll put in a shameless pitch to invite a wonderful radio crew to travel with you if you want. 
Hey, listen, <laughs> uh, you're you're welcome. Uh, we we sound is very important to us. In fact, we just did a, a small uh, slideshow soundscape of Washington D.C. for a story that we've got in our upcoming. Well, in our first uh, iPad edition in, mm. in May June, and it's um, it's it's really amazing when you put you know uh, great photography against wonderful sounds. What what an experience it is, and you know the power of radio. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you, Keith, and um, you know I, we're. Don't be a stranger. You're always welcome. On, Thanks, uh, on World. Let's visit again. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Keith Bellows is the editor-in-chief of the award-winning National Geographic Traveler magazine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Keith. Happy trails. Thank you. After the break, we'll preview the arrival of Budabar, D.C. with my fellow traveler and girlfriend, Shelley Galloway, general manager of this extraordinary property, and we'll introduce you to eco-chic and socially conscious jewelry designer, Monique Pan, my new best friend as well, who is changing how we think of jewelry. As World Footprints Radio continues after this. Hi, my name is Catherine from France, and I love listening to World Footprints Radio. This is President Barack Obama. In the story of America, the greatest chapters are moments of challenge, when we see people serving their country and one another, volunteers who step forward into hospital corridors and church basements, along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together. A message from Renew America Together, brought to you by the Ad Council. It's your home, it's your dream. Rain on test and live in healthy and clean. Make it green, green, green. Making it green is making sure the air in your home is healthy for your family to breathe. Testing for radon is easy. Just call 866-730-GREEN. Make it green, green, green. A message from the US EPA. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I live in the South. California is my home. I speak fluent Spanish. No hablo espanol. I have brown eyes. My eyes are blue. We're very different people, but we do have something in common. I made a donation to the Red Cross. When disaster struck and I needed help, her gift to the American Red Cross changed my life. When you support the American Red Cross, you change a life, starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org and find out about life-changing opportunities in your area. What if you didn't care about being on the fast track? Instead of flying to the big interview, what if you flew somewhere else altogether? Like a village in Botswana or a tiny island in the Pacific where needs are easy to see. What if you decided to share your skills with others and help someone else get ahead? Peace Corps. Life is calling. How far will you go? To find out more, call 800-424-8580 or visit peacecorps.gov. Health officials are concerned about a new influenza virus of swine origin that's spreading from person to person. Officials are acting to combat this threat, but the outbreak could grow. Prepare now. Check with local leaders, schools, employers, and other community groups about their plans regarding an outbreak in your community. It's important for everyone to know what to do about swine flu. For details, visit www.cdc.gov slash swine flu or call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from HHS. Well, he moved early. That's going to draw the yellow flag. 
Offsides, number 72, five yards. Check out this fan leaving the game. He's headed straight up the middle and right into a sobriety checkpoint. Let's see how he handles it. No, officer. I haven't been drinking. I'm the designated driver. Upon further review, this fan made the right call by being a designated driver. Sign up to be the designated driver at the stadium and always buckle up. You could follow your favorite NFL team to the Super Bowl. Provided as a public service by the station and team coalition. Joel Klein catches a 7 o'clock train after his evening CPR class at the American Red Cross. Ron Garrett is on the same train. He's had a rough day and doesn't feel like himself. Until he feels the sudden tightness in his chest, Ron never thought he'd actually have a heart attack. Until Joel is administering CPR, he never thought he'd actually save a life. When you train with the Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-RED-CROSS or visit redcross.org to learn about life-changing opportunities in your area. Hi, my name is Ginny. I am from Fiji. I love listening to World Footprints Radio. You're listening to World Footprints Radio, awarded as the best travel audio podcast by the North American Travel Journalists Association. Here's Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. World Footprints celebrates responsible travel, culture, and heritage, and we define these terms rather broadly. Consider culinary tourism, for example. We believe that cuisine is a manifestation of culture and culinary tourism in its broadest sense can be defined as the pursuit of unique and memorable eating and drinking experiences of all kinds, often considered while traveling. But as our next guest, Shelley Galloway, general manager of Buddha Bar DC, will agree, one can also be a culinary tourist at home, and I'm so happy to be living in Washington D.C. and uh, and and have a Buddha Bar as a um, uh, as a as a staple in our city. Shelley, welcome. Thank you, thank you. We're very, very, very excited to be here in Washington D.C. Also, it's a great city. Everyone's been so warm and opening to our arrival, and we are just really excited to be here and get things going. Well, we're we're excited too, and I, I tell you, um, you know, Buddha Bar is uh, there's Buddha bars around the world, and and so uh, to find you here in D.C. and certainly D.C. is a city of um, where a, a a person can be a culinary tourist at home. Now. As you know, as I mentioned, um, people don't have to travel far to be a culinary tourist. So, what types of cultural experiences await visitors to Buddha Bar, DC? Well, as as you mentioned, Buddha Bar is uh, a worldwide branding. We have them all over the world, and each Buddha Bar is, uh, you know, has has its its concept, has its um, you know experience as far as the music because they have the record label. So all of the musics and the DJs um, are are all part of that branding. But they're also open and allow us to really um, work with the market at hand. So DC is such an international market. Market, and we're very fortunate to be here because so many people already know our branding. So coming here, they're going to be able to have lunch in a, in a relaxing environment with soft music, have a happy hour, which brings up the beat a little bit to really wind down with great martinis and specialty sakis, premium chilled. We're doing wonderful champagnes by the glass, which is absolutely magnificent. 
And then we have a great sushi. Our sushi, we're very, very happy with our sushi and all of our specialty rolls. And then dinner also in a, in a relaxing environment. The music gets a little bit louder towards the evening. The lights come down a little bit lower. And, you know, and then they can just stay at their table, stay at the bar. And it really just envelopes you, the energy when you have that ambiance together. You know, you have your food, you have your wine, you have the lighting. Everyone has just been amazed by how it comes together and the energy that just comes out from it. Now, Buddha Bar wouldn't be a Buddha Bar without Buddha. <laughs> uh, now, I understand the restaurant in Washington has this magnificent Buddha that made this journey. This is an 18-foot-high Buddha. How did that get to D.C.? It actually, it actually came by plane. Um, it was supposed to come by boat, but uh, they've had uh, some problems with the boat, so it would have taken a little bit longer than we originally anticipated. So, so we flew him over. He kind of went around the world. He started off in Indonesia, went up to you know Singapore, and then over to Belgium, London, New York, and then down through uh, down into DC, Dallas. So he's traveled the world by plane. Now, was was this statue made in a remote community? I mean, how who made it, and and what is a statue made of? The uh, the company that actually made it is Mambo Art, and it's a company out of Belgium. Uh, they uh, have have you know, of course their their manufacturers everything in Indonesia, and it actually is very remote. Uh, when they sent us pictures, it was amazing to see this humongous, as you said, eighteen foot Buddha sitting in the middle of jungle. All you saw was green behind them, and it was just it was it was it was breathtaking because it was you know the nature and this big humongous Buddha and they they make him from ground up. He's done out of a polyurethane, uh, like a plaster like, so he's not real 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 heavy. He's just very big. Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm. in the interior, you know, we again kind of going back to the to the travel theme, the cultural theme, the interior. Um, I know that was designed by a company in France. Um, but talk a little bit about the interior design, the authenticity of, of these designs, and, and really where the inspiration for the interior or how that was developed. Well, the, the company in Paris uh, actually works with the Buddha Bar uh, in Paris, where it is the mothership of Buddha Bar, and their company is DWA. And what we do is the owner himself, Ramon Vizan, who is the creator of the Buddha Bar branding, came and looked at our location. They actually looked at multiple locations, and this is the one that fit um, for this concept because, you know, they're either multi-tiered where they're two or three, you know, stories high so the Buddha can fit, or they need to have a very, very high ceiling. So this location here at 455 Mass worked for that reason. It was a brand-new building, and it had that height um, because when they design, there's key points that they have for all Buddha bars. The one is the high ceiling because we have three and like two and three tier chandeliers that also stretch about ten foot long. So we have you know chandeliers that are hanging with the Buddha, which is massive. So we definitely need a lot of height, and they draw around that. Then they actually um, the fabrics are all from Europe, so they pick those out in in thinking of the design, keeping to the Buddha bar. The Buddha bar really loves those European paisleys. They're rich and they're warm, so they have those going through the restaurant. This restaurant, because it has windows on both sides, they had to add curtains 
into uh, the design, which is something that most Buddha bars don't have. So they have their, their elements that they like to keep as far as the branding goes with these humongous chandeliers. And mm-hmm. we, have, we have 11 of them in the restaurant. You know, the Buddha himself, the red velvet uh, is in there. And then they design to the actual building itself. And that's where they have your little niches, which are different. Our DJ booth is elevated in the wall, so it's higher uh, than the other ones. Uh, there's curtains in this one, which are different. You know, in Paris, they have the Dragon Bar, where we have this beautiful blown red glass that has a mural. So each one is a little bit different that they design to the spot itself. Shelly, talk to us about uh, your executive chef and some of the things that he'll be serving up for visitors to Buddha Bar here in D.C. Well, we, we have, uh, right now we've finished up the menu probably about a week ago, and we're starting off with some of the classics from Paris. Uh, you know, they're, they have a classic menu where they have their, their best sellers, per se, as far as the, you know, the miso yaki cod, which is wonderful, the ahi tuna, which is great, the Peking duck also. They really look to do things family-style friendly, and that's what we really recommend, so that way everyone can taste the, um, you know, a little bit of everything. It makes it, you know, a lot of fun to be able to do that. The chef himself, Chef Ko, you know, he's brought on... Um, uh, a wagyu steak on a, on a hot stone, and he has a wasabi butter, which is which is just wonderful. That's one of his dishes that he brought on, one of his signature dishes also. And as the months go by, we'll be adding more to the dishes as we become familiar with the taste here, and the chef will, will be able to add a little bit more creation of his own to the menu. Hmm. How, do you, how do you gauge that, though? How do you gauge the, the taste of... A uh, you know a location like Washington D.C. Well, you know you, what you see is uh, realistically your best sellers. You know you see what dishes are are, are moving, uh, which ones you're getting great feedback around, and that way you can pick up almost a, a palette of a of a city um, by seeing those things, and then you adjust your menu and know which way to go with the with with that. Either if people tend to in a city continually order the sweetest dish and ones that are spicy don't really move then you understand the palate of the city and your clientele is this so when you're thinking of creating more dishes you keep that in mind mm-hmm. to be able to then reinvent something in that direction that you know your clientele is looking for mm-hmm. now um one of the one of the major considerations, certainly for our show and our listeners, and um, and and we think among um, a growing population of restaurateurs, chefs, and consumers, is sustainability. And and in terms of you know the environmentalists, you know I, I don't know if you've uh, heard the story about the very chic um, sushi restaurant <clears throat> in L.A. that was recently closed because they were serving. Um, some of the the fish they were serving were endangered endangered species, and so um, they certainly weren't practicing, you know, the sustainability practices and 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 and, and not being careful with uh, what they were serving. Um, I I would assume uh, that that Buddha Bar has taken precautions to make sure that um, you know what what they're preparing, what they're offering are are 
sustainable foods, I, I suppose uh, that's the term that's uh, used today. Well, as far as, as, far as uh, food-wise, a sushi bar in particular, as you mentioned, for example, we're, we've taken Toro off the menu. Most of the time it's done with bluefin tuna, so we've taken that off the menu and when we're not serving serving that. You know, I know that there's uh, different foods that go around, um, you know, that, that do become endangered. As, as you mentioned at one point, you know, we, we stopped serving sea bass and we put striped bass on. Um, you know, again, the, the Toro we're not serving because it's the bluefin tuna, which, uh, you know, it's actually we printed it on our menu that we're not even serving that for that reason. So, mm. you know, we do, we do, um, we do like to stay within and, and, and take that into consideration. Now, Shelley, being part of this wonderful Buddha Bar DC concept, uh, I'm sure you've gotten a chance to travel, enjoy cuisine from all over. Talk about some of your most memorable uh, trips in terms of your culinary experiences. Well, I mean, I, I grew up in Italy, so I spent five years in Italy, so that was wonderful, and I was able to travel all throughout Europe. Um, you know, I think that, you know, Italian food is absolutely wonderful, and, you know, and, and it has its, its, from its basic pizza to antipastos, you know, it's, it's, it's just wonderful with the wines. You know, going up to Paris in my time that I've spent in Paris, you know, the French cuisine is, is completely different with, you know, the Dover Sole. It's much more delicate, but at the same time, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, the, the creamier, more butters, more rich in flavor. I've spent the last 16 years off and on in Las Vegas, which is, you know, before D.C., where D.C., as you, you mentioned, is, is, is becoming a, a culinary destination. Mm-hmm. Las Vegas has, was that uh, for the last 10, 15 years. And I spent many years, and 16 years actually, in Las Vegas working with multiple restaurants within the hotels and the casinos, you know, doing openings. And there's just some phenomenal chefs there that are just unbelievable. Um, that, you know, the, the cuisine itself really reinvents itself, you know, uh, to say in particular, you know, a, a sushi is, is so big right now, and it, you have its, you know, the sashimi, which is the, the fish without the rice, which is very simple, to now that you have, you know, the, the different rolls that are completely different, that they have new style sauces that mix with it, and they put, you know, meat in a sushi roll or a maki roll, Odessa, which is, which is different. So, you know, you really, with, with with traveling, you can see what everyone does differently, and that's the great thing with our food being infused, that we can take, you know, Thai dishes and then, you know, change them up a bit to be able to create something that's completely different but the same um, with different sauces and, and elements, and, and that's, that's what culinary is about. Culinary is a, is a true art of being able to take one dish and reinvent itself, just like the classic caprese, which is actually just mozzarella and, and tomato and basil, but some people put oregano on it, some people put, you know, uh, you know uh, balsamic on it, some people do roasted peppers on it, but it's, it's being able to create everything, and through travel and just new restaurants open every day, and the wonderful television shows are, are great with the Food Network and mm-hmm. Bravo and all of those that, you know, I, I believe that I believe the palates here in America have just in the last two, three years, thanks to all of the food networks and the different shows that are on, have 
have just done phenomenal things for the younger generation that's coming up and really having a passion to cook because it's challenging people to go beyond the box. Absolutely, and beyond their borders, too. It is. It's just um, it's amazing how, how, how advanced and, and how much fun you can have. I mean, I've had worked with wonderful chefs. I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. I was the first female general manager in Las Vegas, uh, you know, for, I mean, which, is, which is amazing to say, you know, because it's so big now. I was the first female and the youngest. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just amazing to see every cuisine, whether it be, you know, Southwestern, how that went from t- – from Mexican to Tex-Wex mm-hmm. going on, and the same thing as far as sushi traveling, the same thing as far as pizzas. You know, it was the original, you know, margarita pizza, and now, you know, the different things that they put on, uh, mascarpone and uh, salmon, and, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing what you could put together with food and find how many elements mix. And I love what we're doing right now because I, 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 the spot we're in right now as far as culinary is people like fresh. They like fresh. They like organic. They're not looking for store-bought sauces that have all of that extra, you know, you know, fake ingredients to give it flavor. You're getting real basil, real Thai basil, real, you know, lemongrass, and you can. It changes everything, and it's just magnificent. It's exciting right now. Oh, well, Shelly, you've effectively made me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I made myself hungry. I, I, that's, that's the fun part of the job is being able to do that and pairing and, and the rest is fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today on World Footprints. Shelly Galloway is a general manager of Buddha Bar, D.C. We thank you for joining us, my dear. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Socially conscious jewelry designer Monique Payon's eco-friendly and culturally inspired jewelry is changing how we think of jewelry and its social impact. Monique was recently recognized as a designer to watch at EcoChic, an event celebrating eco and ethical design and fashion, interior design, and architecture, held in Washington, D.C. recently as part of Earth Day. We're standing here with a wonderful designer, jewelry designer, Monique Payan from New York, who's coming from New York to, uh, to D.C. Her work inspires sustainability and, and culture. Monique, welcome to uh, World Footprints Radio. Thank you. Very excited to be with you. Well, we're excited to have you. We're excited to meet you. And, and, you know, as Ian will tell you, jewelry is one of my favorite loves. In addition to travel, I love jewelry. And I love the fact that your jewelry is created with different cultures in mind, but that you use sustainable materials. Tell us a little bit about what materials you use, what defines sustainable materials, and really where your inspiration comes for your designs. Sure. I've always been very inspired by indigenous art and culture. And when I was younger, I had the privilege of traveling around the world. Um, My father was working with the United Nations and African Development Foundation. And I had the opportunity to go to all these countries where there are many local artisans who had access to such unique materials and had such beautiful indigenous designs, but they didn't have access to the necessary tools that they needed or to the luxury market. So my concept was to be able to work with those local artisans to employ them directly and then to give 10% of our profit back. Um, We've been working with a fabulous organization called Charity Water, and uh, they work to provide clean drinking water to uh, those in need in developing countries. Um, And in terms of sustainable materials with jewelry, we use all recycled gold. Um, We use fossilized woolly mammoth and fossilized walrus ivory that ranges between 12,000 and 50,000 years old. 
And depending on where it's been resting, the minerals in the earth will change the color of the fossilized woolly mammoth ivory over time. So sometimes you'll get these unique cream or blue or green colors. You mentioned you work a lot with indigenous cultures. What are some of the indigenous cultures you work with? What what countries specifically? Uh, Well, we've been working in the Arctic Circle with... um, tribes of the Inupiaq tribe, um, the Alouite tribe, the Yupik tribe, and they're mostly subsistence hunters. And when they go out hunting, they'll find these pieces of fossilized material that have come up to the shores. Um, because of global warming, these pieces are getting uprooted, and they're finding that the patterns of the animals have changed. And they used to rely on the animals for survival, but now we've been able to employ them locally to carve these pieces and to work with these pieces and really raise awareness of some of the issues that they're facing environmentally. Uh, we've also been working in Colombia with local artisans in Colombia, and we're using um, a lot of buffalo horn. And then we're also working in Mozambique in South Africa. Oh, one of our favorite places, South Africa, somewhere where we're headed pretty soon. You mentioned that part of your profits go to support clean water charities. Tell us a little bit about your efforts. Sure. Uh, We've been working with Charity Water, which works to provide clean drinking water, and we have given 10% of our profit. um, And in the past year, we've been able to provide over 3,000 people with clean drinking water um, through jewelry sales. And we've built wells now in Malawi and in Haiti and in Mozambique. So we're really excited to sort of be able to combine our love of art, business, and philanthropy. I'm excited for you and excited that you're doing that. And I also understand that a very famous lady that most people know actually wore some of your jewelry. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, I was absolutely honored to uh, see First Lady Michelle Obama in my pieces last week while she was traveling in Mexico. And it's just a complete honor, especially during Earth Month. Absolutely. Now, is your jewelry available online or how can people learn more about your store, your designs, and of course, Charity Water? Sure. Um, Customers and those who are interested in learning more can go to www.moniquepayon.com. They can also find our jewelry online at Barney's New York and at Twist Online. You've traveled all over the world. You said your father worked for the UN. Is there a a country that just really speaks to you, perhaps a country that, outside of uh, influencing your your designs, but a a place that just really calls to you? I wouldn't say there's one place in particular. I think that indigenous cultures all around the world have unique identities and ideas and designs that I've tried to incorporate um, into my aesthetic. Um, But I guess to name a few, I absolutely loved visiting Malawi, some of the artistic designs that they have. Um, I've loved visiting Egypt, um, Brazil, and Haiti. Oh, wonderful. Monique Pian, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you again for joining us today. We look forward again to connecting with you throughout the week on our social networks and at other times during the year through our newsletters, all which you can sign up for from our website, worldfootprints.com. It's been a pleasure to share some travel time with you. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we'll see you on the air again next week, same time, same frequency. And until then, leave positive footprints one step at a time. Hi, guys. My name is Sandy Best, the Sandy Best from Lake Louise. Where's Lake Louise? It's in Alberta. Alberta's in Canada, Banff National Park, natural beauty. The only place you should go with is World Footprints Radio because they spend their time looking at those special places that are not tourist traps, that are not thousands of people. For the best on the planet, go with World Footprints Radio. This has been a presentation of Travel and On Media Productions, LLC. 
All rights reserved. This is President Barack Obama. In the story of America, the greatest chapters are moments of challenge, when we see people serving their country and one another, volunteers who step forward into hospital corridors and church basements, along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together. A message from Renew America Together, brought to you by the Ad Council. This is President Barack Obama. In the story of America, the greatest chapters are moments of challenge, when we see people serving their country and one another, volunteers who step forward into hospital corridors and church basements, along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together. A message from Renew America Together, brought to you by the Ad Council.